that's when it came out of a clear blue sky. Oh, the dear good Lord's own sweet breath and his voice like an electric shock. I was Welcome to Good Luck America, a politics and news podcast. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Chet Wild. Hey, everybody, welcome to Good Luck America, a news and politics podcast. A politics and news podcast. Oh, did I get it backwards? I don't know. Just like this country. So. What? Come on. Oh, hey, we what? don't have any sound Why? effects right no. now. We're just, oh, we're... man, a fart noise. Where'd that come from? Whoa. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we're Fuck just. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. We added that to the soundboard. We're recording in my living room because I'm still mid-move and I haven't set the studio back up. It's okay. This is comfortable. Yeah. Chet's got a nice view. I, I oh, would girl's take not a, even in the hot tub now. She's just sitting on the edge. I would take a picture of the view Chet's talking about, but then I'd be as much of a creep as he is right now. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just funny. It's just funny that there, <laughs> when you walked me in, I'm like, oh, we're going through the pool. And then it's just, just, it's such a narrow walkway. And then there's girls just sunbathing. But it's like, yeah, I felt unnecessarily, unnecessarily close to them. Yet, that was the only way to get here. That's that's how you get in my apartment. You got to walk through the pool. And it's cloudy and overcast, and there are a number of women outside this window sunbathing under no sun. Yesterday, we recorded also, and it was Memorial Day, so there were <clears throat> parties raging right outside this window as we were recording. Man, party central. But now, it's it's uh, pretty serene. Oh yeah, it's Tuesday. It's not even Monday. Yeah. What the fuck's your problem, I Chet? Forgot. I slept all weekend. Oh, yeah? I'm still getting over being sick from the tour. We went on tour. That's why this episode is coming out when it is. I wanted it to be up Monday so I could rage, but here we are. It's almost as if you if you quit your diet and eat Midwest food for a week and don't sleep and then get on an airplane, your immune system shuts down and guarantees you're sick for a week. You, We both did some eating on the road. And some drinking. And some drinking. Malort. Fuck you, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago wants you to take a shot of Malort every time you're in town. Well, the, at North Bar, it's kind of tradition. I think I've done it every time I've been there. And oof, it's like drinking pure rubbing alcohol. Do you want to do a quick, quick rundown of the tour? Sure, you do it. First day, uh, we met in Chicago. I had a croissant with ham and cheese. It was awesome. You took a bus from Milwaukee? Madison. Madison. And uh, we went to our Airbnb. We stayed in a goddamn museum, Adam. We stayed in a museum slash art gallery that had some of the coolest but also most terrifying paintings hanging all all along the walls and above my bed. It was I, cool the first day, and then when we woke up, it was terrifying when, when I, I looked at it. I woke up at 6 a.m. knowing I could go back to sleep and then looked up and saw that painting and stared at that for about 25 minutes. And then finally fell asleep and had the most vivid dream I've had in a long time. And it you was woke it, me up in the morning recalling the dream, and it was it was oddly specific. Like you remember the microwave from the room in your dream, yeah. And then referenced it. Russian Secret Service was tearing up the room we were in. 
But they were okay with me being there. They're just concerned with you, apparently. And about halfway through it, I was like, oh, they're just going to trash this Airbnb, and then we'll be fine. So I didn't even give a shit. But yeah, it, it was... But it was a great place. It was a great place. We uh, we had a fun first show, and uh, and then we got really drunk. I drank all. I got more people to drink cider, and we drank all the cider at the bar. We drank them out of cider. Yeah, you're such a man, Chad. That's all. That's all I care about. Getting all that cider so cleared much cider. out. And then we got uh, what was it Giovanni's? No, what was the pizza place? Lou Malnati's, Lou baby. Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's, the finest. I thought finest. you said Illuminati's the first time we ordered it. And I'm like, that's a place to get pizza. Illuminati's, I yeah. would order from there. But yeah, Lou Malnati's, it is the best Chicago deep dish pizza. Don't let anyone tell you so otherwise. Thick. Giordano's, kiss my ass. It's tourist pizza. That's why there's one in Vegas. And then we went to Minneapolis the next night. Yeah, we drove to Minneapolis. We had a, a good time there. Uh, oh, is that, that it? Well, no, it's a fun show. Yeah. Um, someone brought me weed. Someone brought me a 9-11 coloring book. I, and someone brought me a really nice ceramic glass. And then it got awkward. And then I was, I wanted to ask him questions about it, and I turned around to finish signing the poster I was signing, and he was halfway out the door. So whoever that was, thank you very much. Me and my girlfriend have both admired that glass since I've been home, and it's really neat. I think he made it himself. Yeah. So I wish I could have asked you more questions about it, but thank you. Drop Adam an email. Let him know who you are so he can thank you properly. Who are you? And then I abandoned Adam. Uh, Correct. Because I, I I went on a random Bumble date. Why not? And, uh, bow, bow, bow. and funny thing is, so we're at the bar downtown, and I meet this person there at like their book club. and So I meet her at a different bar, but we're far away from our Airbnb. Then I wake up the next morning. At a place that is not our Airbnb. And I'm like, ah, I guess I'll lift back to the Airbnb. And then I look down the street. And oddly enough, I am only a block from our Airbnb. What are the odds of that? Yeah, that's it, pretty great. It was convenient. And then we went to Dyersville, Iowa. That was a damn fine show. Fuck. Thank you, everyone who came out. We met a bunch of people uh, whose names all escaped me because I'm drunk. Well, we met a dude named Trace. <laughs> you, you always remember when you meet a dude named Trace wearing yellow sunglasses. Uh, we listened to Andrew WK's album twice at your request. You I, fucking loved it. I needed the inspiration, yeah. And then Andrew WK showed up at our show. That was not Andrew WK. It, and I don't like, it was think, the original Andrew WK. I don't think Andrew WK liked you tweeting that because he didn't like it back. It was the only tweet and, I mentioned him in uh, that he didn't as like. As co like we follow each other, me and Andrew WK, so... <laughs> I kind of know him, and I, I, I think I have a handle on when he's not into a tweet. And I think you offended him, Chet. Well, that doesn't matter, because I got broasted chicken, which was new to me, and boy, was I excited. I can't believe you've never heard the term broasted. No. it was. I don't know why it makes me laugh so much, but I got broasted. And then we went to the Field of Dreams what up? location. We, 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 we drank with a bunch of listeners that night, and we got some jewelry. That was Oh, that's sweet. right. Yeah. We have to, we'll be mentioning that all on Pretty Scary because yeah. the person who brought us that is a sponsoring Pretty Scary. I've been wearing that necklace. And I still have to distribute that stuff to people. I've been doing nothing but moving since I got back. But uh, where'd we go after that? Wichita. Wichita. Oh, we did stop at Field Dreams, though. You're right. Yes. And we boy, was that Joe a Jackson. <laughs> baseball field in the middle of nowhere. 
Uh, and then we drove. Uh, and we, yeah, we met the guy who dresses as Shoeless Joe Jackson, <laughs> noted criminal from the 1919 Chicago White Sox. And it was his idea to wear the uniform, and he didn't know that would be all wool, so it's he wool. regrets that. <laughs> it looks so hot. <laughs> oh, man. And he had a walkie-talkie. I don't remember that from the movie. And he was drinking a poor man's LaCroix. And there was no corn in the outfield. Yeah. So if the ghost would have just been, they would have just had to be sitting out there kind of relaxing, waiting for someone to notice. Uh, I got to add more of those pictures to Instagram still. My phone fucked up and deleted all my pictures. (laughs) Really? After I got back, yeah. Uh, I got a bunch of backups for you. Then I got a Field of Dream shirt, which is pretty You did. It was a nice shirt. Yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to spend the money. But <laughs> we also, oh, in Chicago, <laughs> we got, I don't know if this is interesting to anyone, but we went to that liquor store where you can drink at the liquor store. It's that, like a liquor store It was store the bar. weirdest and coolest place. It was a liquor store that had a bar in it, and it looked like you could just like buy a bottle at liquor store prices. And then sit at the and bar and drink it. And then just sit at the you bar could. and drink it, which is fantastic. And then we thought it would be a good idea to buy t-shirts from that yeah. liquor store. Yeah, rights liquor, cash only. <laughs> yeah, we both have two black <laughs> shirts with the yellow letters that uh, have that. I think I wore mine to the show the next night in Wichita, yeah. where we both performed in socks, because we were spending the night at the place anyway. And like, if, I'm, if, I, if this is where I'm staying for the night, I'm going to get comfortable. They're was, lucky I wore pants. We stayed at a, listener, at a listener's place, and he provided us with new towels, and when I showered the next day, I dried <laughs> off with the towel, and like because the towel hadn't been washed, I was just covered in green fuzz. It was really bad. So then I got back in the shower to get the fuzz off me, but then I just painted the walls green. Uh, I left a real mess. And they did confirm that they, they were wondering confirm. why the shower looked like that. Yeah, I'm like... Never see them again. How aggressively did you dry off? Because my pretty aggressively, my towel was the same thing, and I was just like, "Oh, I got a little fuzz on me." I aggressively dry off. Actually, I think halfway through drying off, like right as I was getting into it, I noticed it was shedding, so I just like let myself air dry. It was it was not good, Um, but yeah, the house show was fun, and then we went to Kansas City. Oh, what was that fast food place we got that was so fucking good? Spangles. Spangles. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was basically like Sonic. I don't know which one came first. Oh, man. But Spangles and Sonic were very similar. Gas station pizza, too. You finally got to try Casey's Pizza. Highly recommend. Which is phenomenal. We never made it to a Godfather's on Forch, but we had some Kansas City barbecue. We went to a Royals game. Yeah, we did go to a Royals game. The Royals game was a lot of fun. We got jerseys, uh, matching jerseys at the Royals game. And got then a picture in front of '69. That was because <laughs> <laughs> they're oh, celebrating man. an anniversary years. of something that happened in '69. Yeah, funny, <laughs> gross, funny. And then uh, after the Kansas City show, which was great, also Tap yeah. Cage. Shout out to Kevin Amend for always setting that up for us. He booked the he- the uh, the headliners. That was me, baby. The uh, the opening comics. They were great. And then we went to Gates Barbecue after. Oh, man, I was uncomfortable. Hi, may I help you? But there's 19 Hi, people Hi, may I help line. you? There's, oh, man. Every time someone walks in, whether you have ordered or not, the person that walks in, they go, hi, may I help you? And I, it, it is a very aggressive, hi, may I help you? Like, you better know what you want and get it ordered. I'm like, oh, it's impressive. She memorized our order, and then she didn't memorize order, and then she kept asking me like what I wanted, and I'm like, I told her, and then I didn't want to correct her. Long story short, I paid thirty seven dollars for dinner. 
Yeah, you and I had all of your sides on top of my sides. It was it was a real mess. Those baked beans were pretty great. They were solid. And then uh, that was the conclusion of the tour. And yeah. then I had to come back here and fucking move. And I've been, I'm still doing that. And I've been sick since I've been back. So I'm just so, starting to get better. That's why we haven't had a new episode up. We wanted to have one up Monday because the thing we're going to talk about today, I've been seething about. Ranting and raving and. Since before we went on tour. Oh, the one thing we got to talk about on tour. Uh, What's the that? The most noteworthy thing is when we're driving in the storm. And oh, <laughs> so we're driving in this storm and all these cars are off to the right with their blinkers on and Chet's like, why are these people being pussies and just starts weaving in and out of these cars. And then we get to the front. And it's raining very hard, raining very hard. We get to the front and realize it's a funeral procession. The so chat has been weaving in and out of. <laughs> and they're all just hoping to also not die before they get to this funeral. Uh, I just thought they were a bunch of pussies ready to drive in the ring. So what are we talking about this week, Chet? Venezuela. Venezuela! And you finally watched John Oliver, the one episode I didn't watch. And man, did you choose the wrong one to watch in terms of me wanting you to like that show because... I don't trust him anymore uh, as a news source. I barely trust him to not just be a wing of the government after that Venezuela shit. I'm... Oh, man. Any, just watch any other episode. Uh, no, because they're all going to make me mad. I know this now. The Venezuela thing, I tweeted a bunch about it. He finally, he, he finally covered Venezuela. All of a sudden, Venezuela is really in the news now mm -hmm. we've been talking about it on the main podcast we've been talking about it on what in the world for close to a year and a half now we've been talking about venezuela and then along comes john oliver and does this segment and in the middle of it just says and none of it's our fault and just moves on well he said it'd be like saying oj simpson is responsible for uh princess Di's murder like that's in the characteristic of our country to like fuck around with Central and South America, but Venezuela is actually not the United States doing. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just, he's wrong. Yeah. He's wrong. The whole in, I mean, maybe if he dedicated less time to Wilmer Valderrama in a fucking bird suit and maybe did more research, he would have. I don't know if you saw that part yeah, of did. the segment, but. I couldn't tell if it was actually Wilder Valderrama or just a joke because I was watching it on my phone while I was driving. No, I think it was him. It, okay. it looked like him. But yeah, he did this segment on Venezuela and I've talked about Venezuela so much. Like you would almost have to go back and listen. Like it's a long and complicated story and it's not, it's definitely not solely the United States fault what's happening there. They Their leadership is incompetent and they've caused problems but to clear the u.s of any wrongdoing is irresponsible it's irresponsible and it's just kind of disingenuous it's it's a lie because it's it's a thing you can it that that thing that bothered me about his bit on venezuela and he left out there's no information about this opposition that is forming to try and take down Maduro. Which is arguably just as bad, if not worse. It's just, it's it's a regime that has already taken Venezuela to where they are right now. Like, this regime that he's basically advocating for is the reason Chavez was elected. So, 
you'll have to go back and just kind of read up for yourself on everything that's happening in Venezuela. That's the whole thing. Like he do, he does this what eight ten minute segment. It's eighteen minutes. Okay, counting the bird. Ten plus eight. That's not nearly enough time to accurately cover what's happening in Venezuela. But I know so many people will watch that and feel like, oh, well, I know everything about what's happening in Venezuela because John Oliver told me, and he said it's not the United States' fault. And comparatively to most shows, even though that seems short, John Oliver does a deeper dive into topics comparatively to your other media sources. Right. It's not just a couple sound bites. Like, he tries. That's his thing. Like, we take one story and do a deep dive into it. Right. And so... I want to talk about some of the things that John Oliver left out of his segment that I think people need to take into account before buying into the idea that the one that the U.S. is blameless in what's happening in Venezuela. The U.S. is always at fault. Always. Well, not always. <laughs> Usually. And the second thing is just to kind of shed some light on what this opposition party is and who they are. And basically who you're advocating for if you feel as strongly as John Oliver does about what's happening in Venezuela. Because the way he painted it is it's just a corrupt regime that has mismanaged the country and it's all about to collapse and there's nothing else to it. There's no outside intervention because he even points out, you know, yeah, we did it in Chile. We did it in Nicaragua, but we're not doing it here. But yes, we are. And that that he said it that explicitly bothers me because I don't know if it's just sloppy research or if there's We're pushing an agenda, something else to it. And this is just the time where whoever tells him what news stories to cover. This is when they said cover Venezuela and here's how you cover it. I have no idea. But the first thing I want to talk about is what Venezuela what their leadership was like before Chavez took over. Spoiler alert, not good. Well, you would think that with the way people talk about Chavez and Maduro being dictators, you would think that there was just this wealth of available political candidates in Venezuela before that. And there weren't. They're Venezuela for four decades before this, uh, before Chavez took over, was ruled under something called the Punto Fijo Pact. And that was basically an agreement between two political parties. In, well, it was between three. Three, but then only really two. But two of power. them dominated. And those two were AD, which is Acción Democrática, and COPEI, C-O-P-E-I, which is the Social Christian Party. And for 40 years, they basically ruled Venezuela they would trade off, but when one would get elected, they'd appoint other people from the other side to their cabinet. And a comparison that I think would make sense to people is imagine if for 40 years in the United States, your voting choices were Republican or other Republican. So the next 40 years. Basically. Potentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so they didn't have a lot of great choices before this. So to imply that Chavez just came to town and made this a dictatorship when it was this glorious free democracy before. They had fair elections and people could vote, but you just didn't have that much to vote for. And that ruling class was, they're like the white business class of Venezuela. 
They're the corporate CEOs and shit like that. All the people that we in the United States tend to say should have less power. You know, the people we want to get out of government and, you know, we want to stop corporate influence on government. But in Venezuela, we're kind of advocating for that to come back. I mean, the United States is definitely advocating for it. But if you don't look into it enough and you just hear the stuff about Maduro and don't look into the opposition, then you think, you know, this opposition is going to be they're the good guys and they're going to come back and make things better. But what the reason they lost power is they did everything Chavez and Maduro have done in Venezuela. They relied on oil profits way too much, and they used that to kind of give all these benefits and things to their citizens, which was great. That's kind of that's exactly what Chavez did when he took office. What Norway does, right? But the problem is, if you rely too heavily on those oil prices. Once those oil prices drop, it just guts your economy. And that happened under this previous regime. And it, you know, people bring up, oh, well, Maduro and Chavez, they've, uh, they shoot at protesters. Fucking 1989, there was a, an event in Venezuela called Caracazo. And it was a protest when that previous ruling party, those two previous ruling parties, I don't remember which one was in power at this time prior to 1989 part of what venezuela used its oil profits for was subsidies on gas so gas was way cheaper than the world average it was just cheaper than everywhere in the world in venezuela and a lot of people rely on public transportation people rely on public transportation and in an area like venezuela there's your cities and then there's those rural mountainous regions where people live but they need to get to the cities to work. And when they removed those gas subsidies, in some cases, gas went up by 100%. Uh, transportation costs across the board went up 30%. And it made it so a lot of people who were barely surviving, at this point, half of Venezuela's population was living in poverty. There's, you know, we, John Oliver made fun of the rabbit thing and how the government was like, hey, maybe you could breed some rabbits and kill those and eat them at this time people were eating fucking dog food they were there's one uh an article on venezuela analysis uh said people were drinking spaghetti water i don't even know what the fuck that means it's after you boil spaghetti the remaining water i'm pretty sure well i didn't know if it was that or if they were just cooking up spaghetti but didn't have shit to put on it so they were just pounding it as water with plain noodles in it Either way, it sounds very unappetizing. Not good. Because I, I can't imagine that they had money for like fancy sauces and things to go on the spaghetti. So who knows? But Venezuela was in really bad shape at, at that time. And this riot called the Caracazo breaks out where first all these people came down from the mountainous regions where the transportation increases were impacting them the most. And then just thousands of people joined in. And the government decided to stop it with force. And the official estimate is somewhere around 300 people died. But there are other estimates that put it closer to 1,000. And that is the opposition in Venezuela right now. The opposition that John Oliver completely glossed over is that party that killed 300 to 1,000 protesters 
because they were upset with their living conditions and decided to take to the streets and the government decides to fucking shoot at them with live bullets. And this is the party that we're now trying to bring back into office. And it's frustrating that that is never mentioned when people talk about Venezuela. They never talk about what that opposition party is or who they are or what they do. And they're just people that represent U.S. business interests. Everything happening in Venezuela, most of it comes down to the Bolivarian Revolution when Chavez started nationalizing oil and all these different industries kicked. He didn't kick Exxon out, but he took their, basically nationalized their assets. So what I'm getting at is this previous regime was just as corrupt. And there's no, that, that part of it is never told when people talk about Venezuela. This, when I was researching this today, this is from an article in the Chicago Tribune in 1991. So way, way, way before Chavez was taking over or anything. This is under that previous regime, the opposition that we want in power now. This is a quote. Ruth Caprilis, a poet and historian, decided to spend a little time digging for dirt. What she came up with is the Corruption Dictionary, a two-volume, 800-page compendium of the worst cases of venality in Venezuela, an oil-rich country where cutting corners, extorting kickbacks, and accepting bribes is a way of life. How did that person not get murdered? Exactly. Yeah, I don't. Maybe she was eventually. Okay. But think about that: an eight hundred page book about all of the corruption that this previous regime. Just the worst of the corruption. Not just all the worst of, the of it. Yeah, and that's the party we're trying to put back in power with the understanding that they're going to be better for the people of Venezuela. Objectively, do you think they would be better, even no. though they're bad? No. Do you think they'd be worse or just as bad? I think they would be better at first because, and we'll get into it a, a little bit, a lot of what's happening with the food shortages yeah. in Venezuela is tied to that opposition party. And that's kind of what they've been doing to foment this uprising is sort of causing these food shortages and and we'll talk about it in in a minute more but i don't the only way they would be better is there would potentially be less chaos because there would that regime that the u.s wants in power would be back in power so we would stop doing all the things we've been doing to fuck with their government from their perspective depending on where they're at if there are people that are you know having to drink spaghetti water and have to fucking raise a rabbit so they can have lunch or not even lunch, like their one fucking meal of the day, they may very well be in a place where just anything sounds better. Anything that isn't this. Right. And and that's that's kind of the problem. That's the situation Venezuela is in where something has to happen. Like And in a in a lighter sense like that, you could make that argument for Trump supporters or Bernie supporters, anybody that goes far to one spectrum or the other in America where they just feel like anything's better than the quote-unquote establishment. Right. And that's how Chavez got elected. It eventually got to the point where people were like, anything is better than what we have now. But the problem is that regime was beholden to our business interests. 
So we didn't really care what kind of human rights abuses might have been happening under that regime because they let our investments happen and they let our money stay there. They let us make money in Venezuela. Once that party left and the Venezuelan government stopped being so beholden to U.S. business interests, that's when we started to care. So it's, yeah, they're kind of back in the same situation they were. It's just this time the U.S. is also backing that opposition that wants to take them out of power. And they are, yeah, they are kind of in, you know, a spot where anything would be better. But that doesn't mean pushing them to that point is the right thing to do, especially for us as a country. But let's talk about a little bit about some of the things that happened after Chavez took power. For one thing, they immediately attempted a coup. It took three years, but in 2002, there was a coup attempt against Chavez, and he was removed from power on a Friday. They put a, they appointed a new president. The United States was the only country that as soon as they appointed that new government, they we were like, yep, we recognize that government. That's the official government of Venezuela. Everyone else was like, this guy was democratically elected, and the military just showed up and forced him to leave. That's not how a democracy is supposed to work. But because it was working in the direction we wanted, mm-hmm. we were fine with it. And it didn't work. He was out of office for two days and the people lost their shit and started protesting, started rioting. Even people who didn't support him just protested over how he was taken out of office. Who drove the coup? It was the military and this same opposition okay. party. And the they appoint their own president and then all these riots happen. And two days later, Chavez is back in office. So this is a democratically elected leader who, because he took office and instead of paying attention to U.S. business interests, starts paying attention to nationalizing resources and businesses and putting those benefits toward making living conditions better for people in Venezuela. And once that happened, that's when we turned on them. And it took us three years to attempt a coup. And they tried it and it failed. But in those three years, this opposition party, for one thing, starts a, a program of capital flight where you have it's literally what it sounds like. You have all this money in your country and it starts leaving the country and never coming back. And that was a concerted effort by this opposition party to kind of undermine the social reforms that Chavez had put in place. So think about that also when you're thinking about, oh, well, we should get this party back in power because things are awful in Venezuela. They undermined programs that were meant to give people food who hadn't had food in a long, long time. They wanted to undermine that just because they were mad because they lost the election. Well, is it that? These are not wanted, good people. They also wanted people to like get to the point of like they had nothing to lose, right? So they they turn right. Okay, and so this coup happens. It doesn't work. And one of the people who's implicated in this coup is a guy we're going to hear a lot about more in the next few months because I guarantee this is who, when shit really jumps off in Venezuela, this is who we're going to put in power. It's a man named. Enrique Capriles Radonsky. 
and he was uh, he formed a new party in the early 2000s, but his career started as a member of Action Democratica, which is AD, which is one of the two parties that ruled under that Punta Fijo Pact, and he was actually implicated in that 2002 coup attempt and briefly faced charges, but. One of the most important things about him to me is the fact that his dad is responsible for launching Kraft and Heinz food, launching that company's entry into Venezuela. Now, I read that in the notes. And I didn't have time to read the full article. What does that mean? Like, how, In what way was he responsible? That I, d- I don't know. Okay, one hundred percent. I didn't know if that was. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how a, a U.S. corporation entering another country works. Okay, but he was the guy who orchestrated that. The family had ties to the Heinz Craft Corporation. So this guy Enrique Capriles comes from money, and he's part of that ruling elite business class that had driven Venezuela to exactly where it is now that we want to put back in power. And what's interesting to note about Kraft and Heinz is in all of these, when you hear about these food shortages, you can go out, I'll put links to all of this shit on the website. There's a lot of articles where people are like, you know, when there's an election, if the opposition wins, food just starts showing up on the shelves again. And they talk about elections being unfair in Venezuela. But if you look into Enrique Capriles, in 2013, he ran against Maduro and just barely lost. But they were like, nope, fraudulent election. That's corrupt. Now, were the elections fraudulent, though? If there are believable evidence to point to that. This is what leads me to believe they weren't. Two years later, in 2015... The opposition party wins. There's a parliamentary election, and they win the majority of the seats. So I'm supposed to believe 2013's election was corrupt, 2015's wasn't, and then 2017's was. Like, when you're talking, Jimmy Carter actually said Venezuela has the safest voting mechanism in the world. So as in the one that's least susceptible to corruption. Why the fuck aren't we using that one? Well, think about that when when it's the Trump administration saying, no, those elections are corrupt. Who you got, Jimmy Carter or Trump? In who are you going to believe? Because Jimmy Carter doesn't really have a dog in that fight. Jimmy Carter just seems like a good, good dude trying to do good things. Right. Or repent for a lot of sins. I'm not right. sure which. Probably a little bit of both. But so if the 2013 election was corrupt, then how did they win the 2015 election? That I, I can't jibe that in my head. And it, it seems like when they think they have a chance to win, they're fine calling an election legitimate. If they think they're not going to win this time, they just didn't even fucking participate. And now they can go, no, the election's corrupt. But then why'd you win in 2015? Like, how did that happen if? the voting system is so corrupt in Venezuela that this one party refuses to, you, they just risked letting the other party take power, take control of parliament in 2015. Like a, a regime that's locking down elections like that wouldn't do that. Hey, not to digress too much here, but I'm trying to think, am I crazy 
or right before the uh, United States presidential election, wasn't Trump already saying that the election was rigged and that's why he was going to lose? Something to that effect. You mean in this country? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then he didn't lose. So it wasn't rigged anymore. So it wasn't rigged anymore. Yeah. And the thing is, I'll put links to it. There have been links or there have been stories about this. You have to go back and find them. But after that 2015 election, all of this food from Heinz and Crafts starts showing up on shelves again, mysteriously. And in the lead up to that, there were all these shortages of basic goods before this 2015 election. And the opposition party was like, hey, we can fix this, but you're going to have to vote us into office. Well, of course you can fix it. Your fucking figurehead is the son of the guy that brought Heinz and Kraft to Venezuela. If you look into Heinz and Kraft in Venezuela, there are so many stories of them hoarding food, hoarding essential goods, because it artificially creates a shortage that the opposition party can exploit. Well, here's a crazy thing, Adam. When they did win, and they finally, uh, all of this uh, Heinz and Kraft food magically started showing up, a lot of it was uh, past due and expiration date. So it's almost as if it'd been there for a while, just sitting yeah. around. That's right. I did some of the reading. Right? Well, <laughs> but that's you're, you're absolutely correct. And people, I'll put the links up so people can see it for themselves. People took pictures of the fucking expiration dates. And immediately after the opposition wins this 2015 parliamentary election, all this food that's five months past the expiration date starts showing up on shelves. And people are like, so we're supposed to believe there's no economic war happening, but all of a sudden, once the party that the U.S. wants to win gets some traction, now we have food again. That, I guarantee you it wasn't Maduro putting that food back on the shelves because the fucking opposition party won. And again, this is the kind of shit that never comes up when people talk about Venezuela. And meanwhile, this guy, Enrique Capriles, He's we're talking about him now as if he's kind of like that exiled figure who we just need to topple the government in Venezuela so we can get this guy back in to be in power. And he's he's just a fucking career politician, a corrupt career politician. The party or as in, I call it a career politician. Exactly. What? We don't have any. Fuck you. And just keep that name in mind. When all of this shit eventually goes down, I, I give it a probably 75 to 80% chance that Enrique Capriles will be leading Venezuela after it's all said and done. And he's just another dude from another corrupt regime that drove Venezuela into the fucking ground. But a corrupt regime that has U.S. interests at heart. Right. And because of that, we're fine getting him back in power. Another thing people never talk about when Venezuela comes up is chavistas, which is the term for people who are loyal to Maduro and Chavez, like their system of running things. They get murdered all the fucking time by the opposition. Not good. And it never gets mentioned. You didn't hear John Oliver mention that. Probably because he doesn't want to be murdered. Probably. But after Maduro defeated Capriles in 2013, there were eight Chavistas killed in protests immediately after that. Uh, in 2014, Robert Serra, Chavista party lawmaker, stabbed to death in his home. 
Elizabeth Aguilera. She was killed in 2015. Uh, she was shot to death outside her home, and then her body was burned. And in all of these cases, it's just people show, just dudes showing up and being like, "Get outside." And they just fucking murder him. Esmin Ramirez, he was a Venezuela trade union leader, also a Chavista. He was kidnapped and murdered in 2017. And then in 2017, also, uh, there's video of this. If anyone wants to have their fucking... I did not click this link. ...day ruined. It's brutal. But there was a protest and a uh, someone loyal to the opposition party set a Maduro supporter on fire. And when this person goes running down the street hoping someone will put the fire out, people just make room and let him keep running because he's a Chavista and he's loyal to Maduro. So we have to set that guy on fire. So that's it's it's really suspicious to me that things like that get left out of the Venezuela talking points when be it John Oliver, the fucking New York Times, anyone, whenever people cover it. You never hear about what that opposition party is and what they're like and who they are and who they're beholden to. And it's a crucial part of that fucking story, especially if you're trying to paint just one side as this brutal, unstable regime that's not fit to lead a country. They're both brutal, unstable regimes that aren't fit to run a country. We just know the easiest route to getting our investment dollars back in Venezuela is putting this other brutal regime back in power. Is there a sensible third-party option that's just not given a shot? No pun intended. There are. That's one thing. The After the Punta Fijo Pact failed or deteriorated, it did open Venezuela up to you know more political parties participating. That's how Chavez won. But... Then it gets into, is the Chavez-Maduro regime actually holding fair elections or not? And it also kind of, if this regime change happens and this opposition party is the one that brings it into happening, they're not going to just then let some third party candidate take over. Like, they're going to install themselves in power. And if they decide to delay elections or do anything shady... You won't hear anything about it because at least, you know, Exxon will be doing business in Venezuela again and it won't matter. Like all of these, if you look into, there's all these Latin American leaders around Venezuela that are criticizing Maduro and telling him he needs to step down because he's so unpopular. And most of them also have approval ratings that are in like the 17 to 20% range. Like you can't be the president of Mexico and tell Maduro to step down. Like, you should also step down. Like, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's frustrating. I feel like I'm ranting a little bit. No, that's, you've been, you've had this bottled up. I mean, the, the digression, I, I've been wanting you to talk because the thing, Adam, focus, insight. Okay, now I want to talk about it. What, what I could draw to shoot. <laughs> this guy that seemingly has nothing to do with the five women just fucking strolls up with a six pack and they're all, and they're all game now. You should have gone out there with a six-pack, Chet. <laughs> that guy does not. Um, about the person set on fire and just runs down the street and no one does anything, it got me thinking, as a kid, you were taught to stop, drop, stop, drop, and roll, right? If, if you catch on fire, stop, drop, yeah. and roll. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So it's that guy's fault. How horrifying is it that we're being taught what to do as children 
if we're caught on fire? <laughs> Under what circumstance is a child ever set on fire? Maybe in a house fire. I don't know. You're trying to flee. You wake up. You're covered in flames. Stop, drop, and roll, baby. You were in a house fire. Did you stop, drop, and roll? No, because I didn't catch on fire. I just got outside. Exactly. The catching on fire part doesn't seem practical. Anyway, uh, so that's that's a little bit about what that other party is like. I want to talk about how the U.S. has been involved in this because these are other things that U.S. is fucking shit up. That John Oliver just completely glossed over in favor of saying it's not all fault. Well, no, it's not your fault. You're British, dude. Mind your business. Now work on the John Oliver impression. No, no that was great. That was Hello, it's I'm John <laughs> Oliver. Then <laughs> fancy a chimney sweep. Uh, racist. <laughs> So one thing that gets uh, completely ignored when people talk about U.S. involvement in Venezuela is Obama's executive order. In 2015, he issued this insane executive order that labeled Venezuela, and this is a quote, an unusual and extraordinary threat to national security. Have you ever once felt like Venezuela is a threat to our national security? Um, when people from Venezuela start calling for your head, I will, but up until then, no. Right. Is that something that came directly from Obama or just his administration? And like, do you think he even fucking knew? Oh, no, it came from Obama. Like, Obama's okay. not, Obama started this. Well, actually, Bush started it. Bush started it. it. But Obama escalated it to the point that once you've labeled a country a threat to your safety, the countries that you consider allies are not going to work with that country. So any there were deals Venezuela had in place to you know potentially pull themselves out of their economic situation. And when this executive order came down, like France isn't going to fucking work with Venezuela if the United States says Venezuela is a threat to the United States. And that's one thing that that executive order did is it made Venezuela an enemy and by labeling them a threat, it gave us the grounds to go in and start dealing with that threat in a much more significant way. And when Trump took office, one of the, I remember reading an article that said something about how Trump could uh, fix Obama's error on Venezuela. He did not. He the left. one thing he didn't undo of Obama. Exactly. That should tell you something. This is... This is not a partisan thing. This who's, is a U.S. government who's good operation. With Robert Kraft, Donald Trump, connect the dots, my friend. Now, I'm come on, people. And so, yeah, there's that executive order. John Oliver didn't mention that. Even two week, like two weeks after that executive order came out, even Obama's administration was like, "Yeah, that's kind of a stretch. They're not really a threat to security, but you know, that's how we worded it." And then they renewed it in 2016. And then Trump has kept it going. So it's like they just kind of admitted that they lied in putting that executive order out, but it did what it needed to do. It, it just kind of cleared the way more for us to intervene. What's going on? I'm sorry. Look at your current position and what you've sunken into. I know. I know how it's, I'm sitting. It's so fucking funny. I'm fucking You're relaxed, talking about baby. the most serious thing possible. And you have sunken into the couch in such a position that can only be described as the couch swallowing you. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I've just watched you like melt into it. 
that I'm I'm so comfortable being outraged about what's happening in Venezuela. <laughs> that's, that's the confusion. That's why it's so funny. I've never seen you so outraged yet so comfortable at the same time. <laughs> I'm in my wheelhouse your right now. Your knees are at your eye level. That's how much the top of your body is sunken into the couch. I'm barely looking at the notes. I could just tell you this. I should I should have added jokes and I would have had a 45 minute stand up bit, but. So that's one way we've been intervening that never gets mentioned is that executive order. Also, and this is a thing, this again, with the John Oliver thing, stuff like this is the kind of thing that makes me not just not respect a news outlet or a news source, but it makes me suspicious of their motives. And him saying, oh, the U.S. has had no involvement in this. Since 2009 alone, we've pumped $49 million into funding the opposition in Venezuela. And the thing is, that's not conspiracy theory talk. That's not rumor. It's not innuendo. It's based on documents that were secured through a Freedom of Information Act request. There's an organization called USAID. And what USAID does is it pumps money to all these NGOs, which are non-government organizations, pumps money into all these NGOs that are supporting resistance movements in countries where there's a regime that we don't like in power. And we pump money to these NGOs and give them training and advice and suggestions on how to topple a fucking government. Oh, I started reading some of the the shit off WikiLeaks. It is crazy. Oh, oh yeah, we'll get to... This isn't even the WikiLeaks oh, stuff. We'll um, get to that next, but this is... if Like, you can... On NACLA.org uh, slash article slash freedom hyphen house hyphen Venezuela, you can go read these official government documents. They're still heavily redacted, but they're reports from Freedom House to USAID on how our operations in Venezuela are going. So there are official government documents detailing what we've been doing in Venezuela to help push this situation along and get this government out of power. And then John Oliver comes along and says, nope, we're not doing any of it. And now everyone on the left will be like, okay, that's fine. So I guess Colombia can invade and we won't care. What disappoints me about this John Oliver piece is for the most part, he usually plays devil's advocate to his own pieces. Like, he'll say, now, in fairness, blah 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 But, like, he'll at least show both sides. Uh, but in this one, he really doesn't Yeah, do I don't know where he's getting, where that information comes from, that he thinks he can summarize the U.S. involvement in this in one sentence, which is, we didn't do it. Because there's so much available evidence to the contrary. And you can go out and read these Freedom House reports that they're sending back to USAID. The first report, uh, this is a line from it. We've held meetings with over 18 national human rights activists, national NGOs, lawyers, and journalists. There's another report. While initial contacts, meetings, and presentations have enabled us to get a foot in the door of Venezuelan human rights organizations, it's clear that a considerable amount of work still needs to be done to guarantee partnerships and ensure trust and collaboration by Venezuelan organizations. And that part still kind of seems innocuous until you look into the next thing I want to talk about, which you just mentioned. When WikiLeaks happened, it was a big story. 
but it was also so much information. Well, Pamela Anderson's boyfriend was releasing documents <laughs> of the government. When it happened, people reported on the story, but they didn't look into a lot of the stuff that was actually released. And one of the most interesting things, this is another thing you can just Google, it's out there on the internet now, is the U.S. Special Forces Unconventional Warfare Manual. And it says right in the beginning that for the foreseeable future, this is how we're fighting wars. We're not sending the military in to intervene because people don't like that. So we have to find another way to intervene in countries' affairs when we don't like what they're doing. And it's what, like 100 pages? You looked at some of it, right? It's 100 pages, and it sets out in detail how to bring about regime change in a country without having to send traditional military forces in. And it all involves shit like this. It involves sending in people to funnel money to these resistance groups or non-government organizations, what have you, that you then train them how to topple their own government. Yeah, chapter two, Fundamentals of Resistance and Insurgency. Uh, First section, Why Populations Resist. Then, dynamics of successful insurgencies, the components of an insurgency, additional elements of an insurgency, infrastructure of a resistance movement or insurgency. Like, it's, it's, it's so, every, it's it's so laid the fuck out. And, yeah, it's, it's really long, it's, and it, it just kind of lays out how we fight wars right now. And how we fight wars right now is how we're fighting the war in Venezuela. We don't go in with our own military and try to take over by force. We This is a thing John McCain has been accused of doing in the Middle East because he works with an, an NGO called the, I think it's called the Republican Institute or something like that. And that organization just goes out to the Middle East. And if there's a government that we don't approve of, his organization trains the locals to basically rise up against that government and what they need to do Everything from spreading the right news and rumors and stories to demoralize people. And it's, it is a step-by-step guide on how to topple a government without looking like you're toppling a government. Isn't it amazing how complex these things can be that different politicians, different organizations pull off, but then people can't like not accidentally tweet porn? <laughs> yeah, like the complexities and the smartness to pull right. this stuff off, but then also the stupidity of the same people. Yeah, it's like learn how to beat brain cancer. Jesus, <laughs> what? <laughs> Who said that? But if if you look into <clears throat> those Freedom House reports and compare them with what's in the warfare, the unconventional warfare manual, which is a thing again, you can go out and read. Where else is the $49 million we're pumping into Venezuela? What else? What could that be for? It's not for humanitarian aid. We know that. It's not putting food on the shelves. So if we're not involved in toppling that government, what is that $49 million we're sending to opposition groups in Venezuela for? I would love to hear an answer to that from people who say the U.S. has played no role in this. We have very clearly been playing a role in this. And even if it doesn't come down to 
us invading Venezuela, which after reading this unconventional warfare manual, it's not. It's not uh-huh. going to be us. We're not. Well, not us directly. Right. Well, it, we pull in the strings. Right. And what it's most likely going to be is Colombia, because right now there are refugees from Venezuela pouring into Colombia and Colombia has this election going where there's a, a guy on one side who's kind of a Chavez Maduro type who wants to be, uh, you know, wants to take care of the people, so to speak. And then on the other side, there's this right wing element that is more beholden to U.S. business interests and things we want. And Colombia is part of NATO now, the first Latin American country to join NATO. So we don't have to invade anymore. Because now that Colombia's in NATO, they just have to wait for the Venezuelan situation to really start impacting them, which it already is. And then they can just say, hey, we're part of NATO and we need help. Go in and fix Venezuela. Hmm. And then we never, ever had to invade. We never had to send U.S. troops in. We never have to look like we did anything. And because John Oliver said we're not doing anything, everyone literally everyone in the country will buy it. Trump supporters will believe we never had any role in it because Trump will say we never had any role in it. And people on the left will believe we had no role in it because it's not us invading and because John Oliver said we aren't doing anything. The one time Trump could legitimately blame Obama partially and he won't do it. Well, that's the thing. That should be telling to pretty much anyone. The fact that that's kind of the one Obama era thing he didn't undo. Why not? Like, what are the U.S. business business interests in Venezuela? A lot of it is oil and gas. Like Venezuela, that's another thing I I even left out because I've said it so many times. But that John Oliver also left out this Obama executive order, which happened in 2015. Do you know what happened in 2014? We found out Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the world. Bigger than anywhere in the Middle East, the fucking world. Venezuela has the most oil. And that's when Obama was like, ooh, they are a threat to our safety. We better start neutralizing that threat. Because it was one thing when they were the fourth or fifth largest oil producing nation and they kicked all of our companies out. It's a whole different thing when we find out they have the most oil. I'm, I'm sure it's just a coincidence that Obama's executive order came hot on the heels of finding out Venezuela has the most oil in the world. But more importantly, do they have coal? They don't have coal, but they uh, got well a shit. Well, then who cares? They have a shit ton of gold. Nah. Gold, gold helps. But yeah, people keep an eye on the Colombia thing. I think if anyone invades Venezuela, it's going to be NATO at the behest of Colombia. But also go out and read the United States Special Forces Unconventional Warfare Manual. Read- Unless you plan on overthrowing a government, then do not read that. We don't need you <laughs> powered, empowered with that information. Read that. Read the Freedom House reports to U.S. aid, and just look into this opposition party and who they're beholden to and what they were like before the regime we're trying to topple now took power. And I guess just decide for yourself, people, if... If you read all that and still think the U.S. has no role in what's happening in Venezuela, fine. I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm just... uh, You're just a guy in a couch. Just a guy sunken into a couch trying to get the people of Venezuela to love him. Oh, she almost fell in the pool. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> I can't even see the pool no, now because the way I'm sitting. I'm just. She was looking at her phone and she cut across and sh- she caught the corner and then she looked up real quick. Ah, she almost stepped in the pool. Damn it. So, yeah, that's that's Venezuela. Do you have any questions, Chet? I will. I will read this Dan Rather tweet. I was going to read it the next episode. Okay. But uh, this leads into the next episode uh, uh, somewhat. Yeah, and then we'll we'll just chill to the next episode. Yeah, we'll we'll paint out for a week until we record next. And yeah, not immediately after this, whatsoever. Right. Uh, Dan Rather tweeted about an hour ago. He said, "Most Americans work very hard, so adding the full time job of keeping track of the outrages and abuses of this administration is time none of us could really afford to spare. Less time for family, less time for curiosity, less time for helping others. No time for peace of mind." Now I know that's specifically about the Trump administration. I'm not trying to make this about the Trump administration, but I think the most and granted, this is a first world problem. The most exhausting thing about this all is just like when, when we get into the stuff, I feel bad and shitty that I'm like not as informed as I could be. And there's just no way to stay informed on all of the things. Well, it's for some- this is a good step in the right direction, I think, for a lot of people like people listening to this. But it's right. It's oh, as we start to talk about as I start to read these things, that's overwhelming because this one thing alone I could just spend the next three weeks reading nothing about, you know? Oh, this Venezuela is a thing you could probably spend a year reading up on. Like, all the things that have led to it being where it is now. And I just feel like the story about what's happening in Venezuela is really, really slanted in one direction. I'm, I have said repeatedly, and I'll say it again, I'm not saying Maduro's a good dude. I'm not saying he's a competent leader. Uh, he's no Chavez. Chavez was fucking insanely charismatic. Uh, he ran the country moderately better than Maduro. I'm not saying Maduro is a good person, and I'm not saying Venezuela cannot do better than Maduro. I'm just saying be careful what you wish for if all you're hoping is that Maduro loses power and that opposition party takes over. Because that's not going to be great for the people of Venezuela either. It could be one of those, you know, out of the skillet into the frying pan kind of situations. You've heard that phrase before, right, chat? Oh, out of the skillet into the fryer? <laughs> no, I've, I've never heard it that way. Balcony? <laughs> <laughs> Butts on the balcony? Butts on the balcony. Oh, they're gone. <laughs> now what are you going to do the rest of the time? Wow, Chet didn't have a lot to say during that podcast. He was just listening intently. Not at all staring out the window at the nine women and one Joe six-pack. Winning them over with his Is beer. Joe six-pack gone too? Yeah. They took that party back to his place. <laughs> Damn, Joe. All right, so that's that's what I wanted to say about John Oliver's Venezuela segment. Yeah, I would like you to watch some more John Oliver. Um, I've watched it, a bunch of John okay, Oliver. It doesn't justify the behavior of this episode. I just think this particular segment was atypical for what John Oliver does. Yeah, maybe. I but think it, like when he covers addiction and he covers like a lot of these religious scams. Uh, yeah, but I mean shit like that. That's That's a different thing. Like if we're talking addiction, that's not... I'm and talking like about big the pharma and stuff. No, I know, but I'm saying like other stories. I think he uncovers things that genuinely, uh, generally, are a benefit to Americans or to people in general watching. 
to be uh, that makes you better informed. And this uh, was much more slanted. He should have done a better job with this one. Yeah. Because, ugh. Well, perhaps you should check out the break with Michelle Wolf. The whole angle of the show is take a break from everything else. It's actually pretty good. You know I don't watch any of those shows. I know, but it's on Netflix, so I thought you might. I am my own news source. Yep. Well, that, I have a couple news sources. I have one that I'm, I'm never going to tell people. Will you tell me off the mic? Yep. Okay. But they, they wouldn't believe it. But it, I get some of the most interesting shit. I, I think people have painted this news source in one way, and I think it's actually a completely other way. MySpace. Friendster, actually. It's where I get all my information about Thailand. I look at Yahoo every day, despite knowing better. Oh, I ha- I have a an RSS feed that just gives me hundreds of headlines a day, and I go to that when I go- want to look for And news. do you get outraged by those headlines and then share those stories without reading the actual articles? Oh, oh man, man, what a great topic. We oh, should do an episode about that. We should do an that. episode about that that'll be coming out Monday, back to our usual time. This is yeah. going up on a Wednesday. Going up. On a Wednesday. That's we'll see not if Adam how the song goes. Next episode. This is not being in a formal studio is not a good look for you. <laughs> you were just you were just deep into this couch. I oh I've already taken pictures. D- uh, don't take pictures. I I'll show you before I post it. I'm chilling too hard right now. <laughs> I'm wearing sweats. I mean I'm always wearing sweats when I record. But yeah, man. Until we get the studio built. I'm just living my dreams of re- recording from the couch. I feel like it's role reversal. Hey, Adam, let's uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, yeah. uh, Adam, come on, let's let's go. Say goodbye, no, Adam. No, I have. I Adam, have say much, goodbye. No, I have. I'm having too much fun. I'm laid back. I'm Adam, we got more episode to record. I'm relaxed. I got a meeting to get to. I'm having a good time. Adam, just say goodbye. What'd you just say? Just say goodbye, Adam. Oh, Chad just Adam, said goodbye. Say, no, you say. Oh my God, Chad no, said goodbye. No, I was trying to get you to say it. I think we should stay. Goodbye, everybody. We, we love you. Should stay until they come back to the hot tub. <laughs> hot tubs on the balcony. The podcast. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Oh.